The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. the sweet tones of a Kokomo Friday. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today. It is Friday, February 19th. I'm Chris Towers. Scott White's here with me and no Frank Stample today. He is feeling under the weather and so we've uh, decided to call a bit of an audible uh, on our schedule. We're not going to be doing the relief pitcher preview today like we were expecting to. I know you're all very sad that there won't be any uh, relief pitcher talk, but it should make you feel better because frankly, you know, the beginning of training camp is not the best time to talk about relief pitcher. There's so much that's going to change, uh, mm-hmm. you know, between now and the start of the season and then the start of the season and the third day of the season that, uh, yeah. you know, waiting a little longer for relief pitcher, not the worst thing in the world. Scott, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. We can talk about one relief pitcher. Uh, Breaking from the position previews and their need to be evergreen allows us to address a little bit of news. And Trevor Rosenthal signed a one-year deal with the Athletics today, agreed to terms anyway. And uh, he's going to be their closer, sounds like, which means Jake Diekman will not. But that didn't seem totally assured anyway. You'd rather have the sure thing in Rosenthal. A, I think that brings us up to 15 for sure closers in my estimation. Ooh. And we could what, argue what about a time to be in fantasy baseball. We could argue about who is a for sure closer and who isn't uh, because they're even beyond those 15. There are some clear front runners, I think, but uh, I think 15 for sure Rosenthal among them. I was kind of holding out hope either the Braves would either sign Melanson, who of course went to the Padres or once that happened that they'd sign Rosenthal since they didn't, I'm going to go ahead and pencil in Will Smith to be the Braves closer. I know Brian Snitker, the Braves manager talked about how they could use maybe two or three different guys in that role, but he did single out Will Smith. And and frankly, I don't think he's the kind of manager who's going to stick with the committee for long, even if that's his intentions to start out. The Braves bullpen's lefty heavy. They're paying Will Smith a lot of money. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Will Smith. I think that makes sense. We have uh, today's episode is going to be all mailbag, all of your questions, Apple podcast reviews, uh, email questions, fantasy baseball today at cbsi.com. If you want to you know, leave a review on Apple podcasts with uh, a question, we'll get that on a future show. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe Frank threw some some tweets in here as well. We'll mm. see. But first, 
before we start all that, Fantasy Baseball Today listeners, I wanted to let you know about Paramount+. Plus. You've probably seen the Journey to Mount Paramount spots com- featuring Bill Cower, James Corden, Patrick Stewart, and Beavis and Butthead. Quite a squad. Paramount Plus is live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day to movie night with Paramount Plus. Stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, and Mission Impossible, plus new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like Star Trek Picard, The Good Fight, and The Stand. And get this, it's where you can dive into live sports from us, CBS Sports, including the NFL, March Madness, The Masters, Champions League Soccer, and more. Plus, you can stream hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, the Smithsonian Channel, and Comedy Central, live sports, breaking news, and a whole mountain of entertainment. Paramount Plus starts streaming on March 4th. Let's get to some quick news, uh, catch up on some stuff that's happening at the beginning of spring training, including Fernando Tatis becoming a very rich man. Frank put Fernando Tatis is rich in the notes, but... You know, his dad did have like a 14-year major league career or something like that. So I would assume Fernando Tatis, the Tatis family already had some money. I assume they were doing okay. But Fernando Tatis Jr., 14 years, $340 million. I will be 47 years old when that contract expires. How about you, Scott? 51, I think, is how old I'll be. Let's hope we both make it. Yeah, uh, of course. Nobody's promised tomorrow. That's but, a uh, that's a lot of money uh, for a guy who already has a claim to be a top ten player in baseball. I don't even know if that would be a hot take at this point. Yeah, no, it, it wouldn't. It's and it, it's kind of an unprecedented deal because he's pre-arb. Yeah, and and so normally when you see a team lock up a a, a superstar, kind of designate him their franchise player before he reaches arbitration. Uh, it's it's more team friendly than this. I mean, th- this is the kind of contract you'd expect Tatis to sign maybe if he was on the open market. 14 years. I mean, I've never seen anything quite that long. So maybe it would be more like 11 years, you know, if he was on the open market. But over 300 million. I mean, there aren't many players in baseball history that have broken that threshold. So I certainly understand why Tatis took it. I think, uh, I mean, the, the Padres are obviously... Um, really confident in how he projects long term, and or maybe they know something that they're uh, they're foreseeing that the market's going to change over the course of those fourteen years in a way that will make this, I, I think, more in their favor than it appears right now. And and look, if Tatis' value holds for most of those fourteen years, twenty four million a year, you know, most of them he's going to come at a discount. But it's just it's just weird to see it happen, to see that amount of money handed to a player pre-arb. Ha-ha, money printer go burr is what <laughs> I have to say. Uh, yeah, like I, I, I'm working on a, a piece where I'm looking at trying to project like what a best case scenario outcome for every player being drafted in the first round right now. And so I'm basically taking like what would be a best case scenario for plate appearances and then I'm putting in like strikeout rate, walk rate, fly ball rate, home run to fly ball rate, BABIP, and just trying to kind of build out the component parts from there based on, you know, these things that fluctuate a lot from year to year. And, you know, Tatis, his upside's pretty high. You know, it's like a 320 batting average and 45 homers and 30-something steals, and he's really good. The only thing is, you know, he played way over his head in 2019, 
And then last year, the batted ball dump numbers were best in baseball. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's probably not going to do that again. And so, you know, we are still at a point where we're entering year three for Fernando Tatis. He's a top five consensus pick. But we still don't exactly know who he is. You know, we haven't seen like a a two-month slump from him, which is going to happen because that happens for everybody except maybe Mike Trout. I feel like he didn't slump until like one August in like 2015 was like the first time he ever <laughs> when slumped. When his wrist was hurt. Yeah, and so, you know, everyone else slumps. Um, yeah. You know, Mookie Betts slumped in, in 2019 at the beginning of the season. So, you know, we'll learn more about Fernando Tatis this season just like we did last year. And we'll learn more about him once we see a slump and see how he adjusts. But, you know, he is a top five player, I think, for pretty much everyone. Um, you know, you're going to spend $40 or something close to that on him in your in your salary cap drafts. And, yeah, he's awesome. Um, some other news. This is not quite so good. Shane Bieber and Frankie Montas have tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, it sounds like the symptoms for Bieber are relatively mild. Maybe it's a little... Um, more worrisome for Montas, but both of them will be delayed at least a little bit at the start of spring training. Uh, but I know Bieber, uh, they were talking about they expect him within the next three or four days to report to camp. So it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but just something to keep an eye on. And, you know, as we saw last season, you know, Yohan Moncada, we've talked a lot about. He's someone who just never felt right. Uh, fatigue and and shortness of breath are two of the main symptoms. And you know, it is something that can have lingering effects. So something to keep an eye on, but I, I don't think you move Shane Bieber down your rankings until we... Yeah, we just we just did a mock earlier tonight. Yeah. I still took Bieber ahead of Garrett Cole, ninth overall, I think is where I took him, which, you know, t- to me was a discount. But I know I'm one of the few who have Shane Bieber as the number one starting pitcher. Yeah. Um, and then some other bad news. JT Realmuto has a fracture in his right thumb. He's expected to miss about a month from now, which remember, February is a short month. So, you know, a month missed in February is more than a month missed in March or something like that. Uh, he's expected to be ready for opening day. Are you moving JT Realmuto down as a result of this? No, I hope others will. I hope others yeah. will. Uh, he's going too. He's going too early right now. His ADP yeah, he's is going up to around fortieth. Oh, he's up and to thirty third in NFBC. Oh, thirty third in NFBC. Thirty third. NFBC is a different animal. Yeah. Um, but fantasy pros, I think he's around fortieth. He went forty first in tonight's mock, so clearly nobody was uh, nobody was disillusioned by this fractured thumb for Real Muto. Uh, but you know, I. I my hope is it's a situation I can take advantage of. Like when Clayton Kershaw had his back injury, uh, something going on. Yeah. Something going on two springs ago. That I know it was the shoulder in 2019. He yeah. Had, I dropped like, him like soreness. three rounds on average. And so I went from calling him a bus to drafting him in a bunch of leagues. And, uh, you know, if, if something similar plays out for real Muto, I'll be happy to take advantage. Cause I don't think this is the kind of injury that will have lingering effects. And usually broken bones have a very predictable timetable. So I feel, I feel good investing in Real Muto like I always would have. Yep. Uh, I, I, I think I might be a little less willing to draft him, but I was probably never going to draft him at 40th overall, or at least it was going to you know take a very specific set of circumstances. So yeah, if he drops to 50, 55, makes it a, le- a little easier to stomach. Um, 
Another news item that got fantasy Twitter all a Twitter was Juan Soto uh, apparently wants to run more. According to Nationals manager Davey Martinez, he said uh, Soto spent the offseason working on his agility and wants to steal more bases. Frank put in the notes 1.01 in Roto. Mm-hmm. I, I think the thing, Juan Soto is very exciting and I'm, I'm incredibly excited about him. When we did our most likely players to uh, make the Hall of Fame discussion last offseason, he was on my list. And that was after two seasons as a 21-year-old. I think he is one of the most likely players in Major League Baseball right now to end up in the Hall of Fame. He is historically great at a young age. I think expectations may be just a slight bit too high for fantasy, even without, you know, a put, I, I think it's unlikely he really gets moved up because he says, you know, his manager said he wants to run more. Um, but, you know, that would yeah. certainly make his ceiling higher and his floor higher. But, you know, I yeah. think people are looking at last season and saying, wow, he hit 351. He had an 1100 OPS. He had this, you know, 41 walks, 28 strikeouts. He was amazing. Um, and I think people are kind of assuming that that was representative of, you know, not necessarily a brand new talent level, but a jump from where he had been before. And like, I still think Mike Trout's the best hitter in baseball. I think the most likely outcome is Mike Trout's better than him as a hitter. And the steals are probably pretty close between them. So I would still take Trout. Okay. Okay. First of all, I want to say Dave Martinez couldn't have teed up this quote any better (laughs) for the fantasy baseball audience, right? He literally said he wants to steal more bases. Yeah. And I have always said stolen bases are mostly a matter of intent. So, you know, expressing that he wants to do it. I think if nothing else, it for somebody like me who is skeptical how much Soto really wanted to run at all, you know, he had 12 steals in 2019, he had six in 2020, so that's pretty nice pace too. But, you know, any anytime you get a middle-of-the-order bat stealing bases, I, I think it, that's on borrowed time, and eventually those are going to go away. So uh, I've been reluctant to project steals onto Juan Soto, and now I feel like I can do that. I don't know that he's going to run like Ronald Acuna, but um, yeah. well, he will. Run. He only stole eight last year, so you know. he, he he will keep running like he has the past couple of years. Soto will. Uh, yeah. So um, to me, like I I've pretty much talked myself into moving Trout back for five by five leagues because I had him second overall at one point. So behind Betts, behind Fernando Tatis, and I think I will move him behind Soto too. So you know, I guess I'm moving Soto up one spot based on this news. Um, I mean, but it's but, like a twenty yeah. percent increase in 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 his ADP now. There so, you go. It's a big move. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I, I can't argue against it. Like I said, Juan Soto is incredible. He's the next Albert Pujols. He's Albert Pujols already. Um, so yeah, he's he's an unbelievable player. A uh, couple other pieces of news: Clint Frazier has been named the starting left fielder for the Yankees, which is uh, pretty interesting. You know, he definitely has had his ups and downs as a major leaguer, mostly, uh, I would say, downs, but, you know, top prospect pedigree um, and had a 900 OPS last season. It was admittedly a 160 plate appearance sample size, but, um, you know, he has 400 plate appearances over the last two seasons with 20 homers. So, you know, there's, there's definitely 25 to 30 homer potential without, uh, killer batting average. How, are you uh, 
Do you have Clint Frazier in your five outfield starting mix? Yeah, oh, I always did. And in, in fact, I was surprised how, like, I didn't think this was new. I didn't know people were out there wondering. I wonder if Clint Frazier will get to start because he became mm-hmm. the starter last year. He was awesome. And now they have even fewer options uh, to, to play the outfield. So I, I didn't know people were holding their breath to see what, what kind of role Clint Frazier would have. I thought it was a given, and I mm-hmm. thought he was one of the most underrated players considering it turns out based on the way people are reacting to this, that that fear apparently was out there unbeknownst to me. And uh, maybe in the long run, he won't be on average the 186th player off the board. Cause I think he probably deserves to go 50 or 60 spots yep. higher than that. Yeah. That's where I have my outfielder 42, I think in Roto. So like 150 ish, um, but you know, it's good to get confirmation. Sure. And, uh, Andrew Vaughn could be on the opening day roster. We have heard some rumblings of this over the last couple of months, but that is interesting. I guess Elo Jimenez would play in the outfield and Andrew Vaughn could, you know, kind of split time with Jose Abreu at first base. Andrew Vaughn, uh, one of the, what, five best prospects in baseball? Certainly one of your five, top five fantasy prospects, right? You think he's fourth overall? Um, Something like that. In yeah, that, I mean, fifth, first sixth, baseman, seventh. In that and range of prospects, to yeah. To be an elite prospect as a first baseman, you've really, really got to hit. And yeah. Andrew Vaughn is yeah. uh, widely considered one of the best out, uh, hitters in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of of it, all it, the news items we've discussed, this is the biggest because now we have the uh, the assistant GM in charge of player development saying it. We've got the actual GM saying it. we got pretty much confirmation throughout the White Sox organization that they want Vaughn to win the job. And they're not saying in a way that uh, suggests they they absolutely won't take surface time considerations mm-hmm. in, in, into account. Uh, I think there's a chance they agree to a long-term deal before that, so it's just a moot point. I think there's a chance they go ahead and send him down for the first two weeks. But the bottom line is Vaughn will be contributing to the major league team very soon. I think we can say that with near certainty. And he should be skyrocketing up draft boards as a result. Like if I remember two years ago, I got so much Pete Alonzo because the Mets were saying similar things about him. And I don't know if people just didn't believe them or, or if I I don't know, I don't know what the deal was. I I was getting him in like the 15th round of 15 team leagues. And obviously I made bank on that and hitting 53 homers are rightly skeptical of teams who say they are going to call or hint that they may call up a player before, it is the most financially prudent time. But even and, even if yeah. even if they're lying, even lying if it's a, a little strong, a couple of weeks, yeah, yeah, we're talking a matter of two weeks. So it it virtually meaningless to your fantasy team to yeah. wait for them. Andrew Vaughn, uh, he has only appeared in fifty five games as a professional, and you might look at the numbers uh, when you search for him and say, "Well, two seventy eight, four forty nine slug, eight thirty two OPS." That's not that great, but remember. That was straight out of college, jumping, uh, you know, three games in rookie ball, but then he jumped to A and then high A. That's not something you usually see with guys the first year they're drafted. And so um, he definitely would have been at double A last season, assuming that, you know, nothing went wrong. And, um, you know, that would have put him on pace for a major league promotion around now, if not earlier, if he had really been hitting well last season. So, um, yeah, he's, you know, 
let me see, 43 home runs in 110 games in his NCAA career. Uh, more walks than strikeouts, a lot more walks than strikeouts in college, but uh, even in his professional debut, where frankly, you, you see a lot of guys not hit super well. It's the longest they've ever played. They're usually you know only playing 50 or so games in a season. Um, 30 walks, 38 strikeouts in 55 games. So uh, Andrew Vaughn could be a real impact bat. He could be, um, you know, potentially an Elo Jimenez-esque bat, except with, you know, hopefully better plate discipline, at least with the walks. He will walk more, hopefully. Um, the only thing, I guess, would be Eloy is such a disaster in the outfield that if Andrew Vaughn isn't hitting really, really well, maybe it's, you know, there's a relatively short leash if he's not uh, hitting really well right out of the gate, but uh, definitely someone to get in your uh, mixed league radars and, you know, potentially start drafting inside of the top 250, I think, mm-hmm. especially if there's more buzz. So uh, get ahead of the hype train on that if you're drafting within the next week or so. I'm going to make a note right now. Move Andrew Vaughn up the rankings. See, I wish I had a pencil in front of me. <laughs> that would be a good thing to make a note of. Maybe I'll just do it while... Uh, while you're talking at some point, let's move on to the mailbag. And uh, we'll start with an Apple podcast review question from Trenton Andrew seven. If you want to get your questions answered on the show, surefire way to do that is to leave a comment on Apple review with, you know, preferably a five star rating. I think we're pretty good yeah. uh, that, you know, then that just helps us get out there and it makes us look good for our bosses and all that stuff. So, you know, please do that. Uh, Trenton Andrew seven. I've been using the strategy of waiting on infield and loading up on outfield and starting pitching early. In my opinion, there are plenty of guys down the rankings at every position to fill your infield and having studs at outfield and starting pitcher is more important. Uh, you know, so he's talking about first baseman like Miguel Sano, Carlos Santana, Trey Mancini, Hunter Dozier. Um, you know, I know you and I both like Trey Mancini quite a bit. I still like Hunter Dozier. Um, I still like Miguel Sano. I think a lot more than the consensus and, uh, Carlos Santana, if you're playing in a points league, should continue to be great. And I yeah. think he'll probably be better than he was last year for Roto, too. Mm-hmm. Second baseman, he mentions guys like Colton Wong, Hassan Kim, Jorge Polanco. I like all of those guys as well. Uh, Wong is interesting because he's a relatively high on base guy who, you know, has stolen some bases the last few seasons. So the, you know, the ability mm-hmm. to get some cheap steals in a Roto league, I think that is uh, worth considering. Shortstop, Jorge Polanco, Willie Castro, Paul DeYoung. Third base, Eduardo Escobar, Edwin Rios, Josh Donaldson, and J.D. Davis. He uses this especially when you need five outfielders. Do you have any players specifically to add to that late round discussion for the uh, infield position, Scott? Well, I'm going to be honest. Andrew Vaughn. Uh, There you go. That's a good one. I'm going to be honest. I... I disagree. I think I think the outfielders in this same range are more interesting, potentially higher upside than most of the players on this list. So I kind of do the opposite, um, starting pitcher being the top priority, but then usually the infield before the outfield, even in a five outfielder league. But if you're insisting on going this route, um, there are... Yeah, you know, I think it depends on how you define, but like Christian Walker is someone I think is uh, that's you know, the first, first baseman I was looking at. Yeah, a, a very good source of power should drive in some runs. Um, and his ADP, I know it's after one fifty. I'm not sure where it is exactly, 
Um, but yeah. he's usually pretty cheap. I'm guessing uh, this is also like a 15 team league he's talking about because this this these guys are all pretty low end uh, for a 12 team league. I, I still like JD Davis yeah. for as late as you can get him. Austin Riley, we talked about him on the third base preview. Uh, we all like him as a sleeper this year. Nick Madrigal. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is Madrigal going later than Tommy Edmond? I think he is. Um, so, yeah, yeah they're, they're, I think those two are similar. No, Tommy Edmonds one thirty four right okay. now. Uh, Nick Madrigal's okay. two seventeen. Chris Taylor's yeah. another one. Uh, both, both of those guys probably helping batting average and steals. Yep. Yeah, Chris Taylor's Chris Taylor's a serviceable player. I don't think he's going to really set your team apart in any way, but he's fine. Um, Jared Walsh is kind of interesting. Bobby Dahlbeck, I think a lot of people are sleeping on him. He he That's might be awesome. a liability in batting average, but it should be a lot of power. Jared Walsh, Angels, uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, Red Sox. Yep. Um, all right. Brendan Rodgers, deep sleeper for the Rockies. If he does land his starting job in their infield, still a I, lot of potential he could live up to. I hope so. He's a full year removed from that shoulder surgery, so you know, hopefully that'll uh, that'll help him get right. Uh, another one from Tishwa. What's Otani's value in a keeper league with daily moves? So you get all of his stats. Asked a few years ago, started debate on the podcast, uh, but clearly that's changed lately. So what are your expectations from Shohei Otani? And I will point out, don't panic yet, but he threw his first bullpen session. The angel said he topped out at 90 miles per hour uh, today, but it's his first bullpen session. They just reported to camp. Let's not freak out uh, about Shohei Otani yet. What, what do you think he can do this year? I mean, I, I still think the sky's the limit in terms of what he could do, both as a hitter and pitcher. I'm kind of to the point now where I feel like him wanting to do both is kind of robbing his potential on both sides. I mean, we saw him collapse as a hitter last season and as a pitcher, obviously to the point they just took him out of the rotation as yeah. a pitcher coming back from Tommy John surgery. So you can, you can understand why he struggled as a pitcher, uh, but that it carried over to his hitting, I think is pretty alarming because he could be all, an all-star caliber player. I, I think it either. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he still can't be that at both. I'm just saying I don't have a lot of confidence in it at this point. And because, because they're going to, because it's impacting his playing time on both sides of the ball. I, I understand a daily league. You can, you can manage that a little better and hopefully get the best of both worlds. But like, I, I really don't know what to expect from him in either capacity as yeah. ugly as last season was. So I'm not that interested to be honest. The velocity will be, I think a key thing to watch because, you know, he averaged 96.7 miles per hour with his fastball in 2018 uh, all three of his breaking balls, you know, slider, splitter, and cut and curveball, were very good swing and miss pitches. In 2020, the velocity was down three miles per hour, and the effectiveness on all the other pitches was uh, drastically different. So, you know, if he can get back to 95 ish in training camp, I think that'll push him up boards, especially in daily leagues. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're kind of hoping for like a like Jock Peterson, Kyle Schwarber-esque impact as a bat in a league where you can't use him in both, and that's 
obviously a little underwhelming. Um, from Zach Ertz. I don't think it's that Zach Ertz. No, I think this one's with a K. Keeper league. Keepers cost three rounds from where you draft them. Keep three. So Walker Bueller in round 16. Tyler Glasnow in round nine. Kenta Maeda in round 12. Luke Voigt in round 19. Or Corbin Burns in round 25. Who are you keeping? I'm keeping Bueller. Think at that discount, you have to, even though neither one of us, it sounds like, are enthusiastic about drafting him round two. Round 16 is a different story. Yeah. Um, I think Glassnow's out. Yeah. I think Corbin I think, Burns is... I, I, I don't know if I made this comparison the other day, but I think Corbin Burns and Tyler Glassnow are kind of the Spider-Man pointing at each other meme <laughs> at this point. Yeah, because... Uh, you know, not knowing the specific rules for this league, I'd say Bueller in 16, Maeda in 12, and Voight in 19. But because I know how the escalation works with the salaries and because Burns is starting so low at round 25, yeah. I think I'm inclined to go Burns over Maeda, even though it's not yeah. as good for your 2021 prospects. So I think Maeda, I say Bueller in 16, Voight in 19, and Burns in 25. Maeda, I believe, is already 34 this season. Um, He's either 33 or 34. He's definitely getting up there. So uh, certainly older than certainly most people would think. So he turns, yeah, he's going to be 33 this year. Yeah. Um, Mike and Rochester. This is a, I guess we'll make a little announcement here. He's wondering if we could release a printable draft prep packet a week earlier than we did last year. Last year, it was, I think the last week or two before the start of the season. Uh, absolutely, we will be. That will be my project for next week. We are going to have, I think it's going to be super awesome. Uh, it's going to be a 32-page uh, printable, downloadable draft guide. Um, it's going to have rankings from, uh, it's going to have consensus rankings for head-to-head and points. It's going to have uh, auction or salary cap values. It's going to have ADP. We're going to have a round-by-round round guide with Scott's tiers, breakdowns on all the top players, uh, sleepers, breakouts, and busts. We're going to have Scott, Frank, and I's draft rules for every uh, for, for our 2021 drafts and a couple other things. So that's going to be really cool. Uh, hopefully that'll be available the first week of March. And the way that'll work is um, you'll be able to sign up on cbssports.com. We'll send it to your inbox totally free. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a very good product. We did something similar for football and uh, I think it went really well. So keep an eye out for that. And thanks for asking Mike in Rochester. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we'd go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. 
So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, emails at fantasybaseball at CBSI, the letter, not the uh, part of your brain or head, at CBSI.com. From Jim. Hello, Tim, Jim, and Garrett. I don't know that one. How much of the coaching staff, coaching changes, slash reunions, slash philosophies, if at all, go into your ranking? Example, uh, Jim says, I personally love Josh Bell and upgrade uh, as an upgrade because he's going to work with Kevin Long. Long's track record with the Yankees, Mets, and now Nationals has been under the radar great, leading two of those teams to a World Series title. Does that factor into any of your rankings or sleepers, breakouts, or busts? It doesn't for me, but that's also, it's just one, frankly, it's sort of hard to keep up with. And it's hard to know which situations actually make an impact and which guys. It's hard to separate. Like sometimes guys just get better and it's not necessarily because they were working with a coach like Josh Mm -hmm. Bell. You know, he got better and it's not necessarily, it's not something that we credit to working with a specific hitting coach in Pittsburgh. And so I don't know. It's just hard. It's the kind of thing that's hard to separate out the the noise from the signal. And mm-hmm. in this case, I think that the impact tends to be pretty low. You know, we've seen some scenarios where like Cleveland consistently gets the most out of their starting pitchers. You know, we can say that uh, with a high degree of certainty. I'm not sure there are that many other situations where I feel super confident in that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the Astros, Astros, Rays and Dodgers. Yeah. Um, But as kind of a blanket approach, I I don't really, it's more of a case by case thing. Like Josh Bell, I get it because it it looked like his swing was broken last year and they're talking about how they have solutions for it. So, okay. I'm encouraged to hear that. And, um, you know, I'm I'm hopeful because of it. And, uh, I put him in my sleeper column in part because of that. Um, you know, it it just kind of depends on if there's something a player needs and if it sounds like the team or the coach has a grasp on what that player needs, then it's something I'll give some weight to. But I don't think there's any magical coach out there right now. Cleveland and Houston, I think, would be, uh, you know, come the closest to getting that treatment. You know, a while back, maybe, I don't know how long ago it is now, 10 years almost probably. I, I do think... Ray Searage with the Pirates. Uh, anytime mm-hmm. they signed a veteran who appeared broken, he seemed to have a knack for getting the most out of them. But obviously his approach kind of, it grew stale in Pittsburgh and now he's kind of, you know, we, we talk about how he held a lot of pitchers back, a lot of up and coming pitchers back. So 
Yeah, um, I think that's kind of a key that that even when we do think that there are guys who have that kind of impact, you know, coaches, um, it tends to be short lived because the mm-hmm. game is constantly evolving and like Ray Searage was another one with the Mets, you know, remember when they had, you know, one of the best young rotations in baseball and we talked about the, the Ray uh, Searage Dan Warden, right? Dan Warden, sorry, Dan yeah. Warden. Uh, and that kind of imploded. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to know whether it was his fault or whether he deserved much credit for those pitchers in general, but right. um, you know, it's just, we don't have enough information. I think it is kind of the thing that I would say. Uh also got a personal keeper question from Jim. 10-team head-to-head categories league. He's keeping Shane Bieber, Nolan Arenado, and Matt Chapman. So now you pick two out of Zach Gallen, Zach Greinke, Lance Lynn, Corbin Burns, Zach Plezak, and George Springer. Well, keeping them straight up. I think that might be a role this Chapman. That would make more sense, I think. Yeah. Well, I don't... Look, with, with this selection, I don't think you should be keeping a Roldis Chapman, first of all. I, I think either one. I, I think I have Matt and a Roldis Chapman ranked pretty much below everyone on this list. So, Bieber's... You, so you say Bieber, Arenado, and Chapman are your, your no-doubters. I'm mm-hmm. saying only Bieber should be the no-doubter because of the ones you're not keeping, Springer, I think, is a must. I think Springer's better than Arenado, yeah. Gallon, I think, is a must. Um... And I guess you could debate whether you'd want to keep somebody like Lynn or Burns as opposed to Chapman. Probably do keep Arenado. Um, but I would I would probably lean toward the starting pitcher there instead of Chapman. Not that that's what you asked, but that's uh, that's me volunteering some free advice. Well, it's all free, Scott. I guess sometimes you have to sit through ads. Unsolicited, let's say. Oh, there you go, there you go. From Ian, 14 teams, 7 by 7 head-to-head categories league, strikeouts and OPS as the extra hitting categories, and holds and whip as the extra pitching categories. Well, what's the extra? I'm a little confused there. All right, 23-round draft. Need to keep four out of six. Eloy Jimenez in the seventh. Denelson Lamette in the ninth. Glasnow in the 11th. Fran Mel Reyes in the 18th. Julio Urias in the 20th. And Alex Kirilov in the 22nd. Could keep any of these guys for one more year at this season uh, with, you know, they would move up two rounds in, in value for 2022. Okay. Okay. So Aloy Jimenez in the seventh, Tyler Glass now in the 11th. I think those are the easy ones. Um, I think I, I, I don't know. What, what do you think beyond that? Because I have. Eileen Arias uh, as Arias the, next in the 20th. Guy in the 20th, because I don't. I don't think I have him ranked too far below Denelson Lamette. I think there are workload concerns for each of them. I think they're both pretty good. Uh, I think we've seen high upside from both. So uh, in the I, 20th I, round, I would lean him as the third option. I might just be down on Arias. I, I kind of feel like if anybody's going to spend more time in the bullpen of those of the Dodgers excess, it's going to be him because that's how they used him in the postseason and he was even mm-hmm. better there than in the rotation. I could be wrong, but... I don't know that we'll ever see the Dodgers use Arias like a full-fledged starter. Um, but yeah, I mean, the value, just just from a pure value standpoint, him in the 20th round, I think so. I know we both have Denelson Lamette as a bust, but if you're like, if you're forced to keep four of these players, I just don't think Fran Reyes in the 18th or Alex Kirloff in yeah. the 22nd. I don't feel like that's enough of a discount 
in the range they go to to do it for me. Does that does that make sense? Like I actually like both of them yeah. at their ADP. I think in, but, in the case of Lamette Arias and or Lamette Reyes and Karloff, you're drafting all of them not that far off from their ADP. Right. Which so just take right. the guy who's better. Just take the guy who's better, even though he might be nothing because we think he's gonna get hurt. But yeah, like I have Lamette, I think, as like a ninth rounder, uh, or yeah. in that range, right around 100, 110, maybe. And yeah. um he's going 81st. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's Decent value already, and then you add in that this is a 14-team league, which makes it even better value, mm-hmm. and that this is something you always have to keep in mind with a keeper league or dynasty league, whatever you're talking about. Uh, the prices of the players who are back in the pool are going to get inflated. You're never going to get someone at their ADP because yeah. there are fewer players available. So that's always something to keep in mind uh, as well. For, for what it's worth, there was an update on Lamette recently. They say they feel good with where he is. He's going to start throwing bullpens. I still think there's a chance once he starts throwing those bullpens that, oh, something's not right here. I also but, just have concerns about, I, I just, I'm not convinced he's that good. Huh? Um, I, I definitely have more performance concerns than I think most people do. And, you know, it's just, it's such a volatile profile. Two pitches. The fastball is fast, but it gets hit hard. Uh, I just think there's a lot of ways this season can go wrong for Nellis and Lamette. Yeah, I, I'm not with you there. I think when you miss bats like he does, it really doesn't matter how hard you get hit, but fair enough. All right, Tyler Huffman, insert three clever names to generate a response here. My question for you all today is how different would you value pitching rankings in a points league where the pitcher only gets one total point per inning pitched. In other words, hitters usually get their usual points, one for a run, one for each total base, uh, minus 0.5 for a strikeout, one for a walk, et cetera. And pitchers get third of a point per, for an out, one for a strikeout, five for a win, minus five for a loss. How much does this devalue pitchers in this format? A lot. Well, I will point out, and I wondered if this was the case, that our standard scoring is only half a point per strikeout for pitchers, and his is a full point per strikeouts. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it probably elevates guys like Tyler Glass now and, and Blake Snell who yeah. don't... We wonder how deep they'll really be able to pitch into games, but the strikeout rate's going to be great. But I think even more than that, it, cre- it I, I think it creates a wider gap between the really great pitchers and the not-so-great ones. Hmm. And then you're having to like downgrade guys like Kyle Hendricks and Max Freed. I wonder about that. I, Cause every additional, every marginal inning that the really, really good pitchers throw when it's an, a, a point per inning, you know, let's say there's a 50 inning difference. That's 50 points. Now the strikeouts and all that stuff, uh, you know, there, that matters too, but you know, innings are, one of the primary drivers of pitching value in a, in our scoring system. Mm. And so, you know, a 50 point difference in, uh, you know, a 50, 50 inning difference jumps to 150 innings in, mm-hmm. um, you know, our score, our standard CBS scoring format. So mm-hmm. I, but, but strikeouts are too. Yeah. Strikeouts are too. And I, I think, I think what a good put pitcher looks like in this format is even narrower 
than it is in our standard point scoring, where you can get the Grankies and the Hendricks up there with the, um, uh, I don't know, the, the Corbin Burns and, and Tyler Glass now types. Okay. Um, Peter, hey guys, I joined a Peter Channel 9 Kung Fu. Hey guys, I joined a dynasty league a year ago. It's a 10 man league with large rosters, six starters, three relievers, 13 position players, 10 bench spots, and a 10 man prospect taxi squad. With these rosters, I found that after the few first few rounds of the prospect draft, we're off most lists. With that said, could you name me a few prospects outside of the top 100 using Scott's list that will be in the top 50 next year? I know this is a bit of a ridiculous question, but any advice is appreciated. So I would say that first, this is an incredibly difficult question to answer off the top of your head. And Scott, if you don't want to, I fully respect that. If you do, first thing I would do is go search for CBS Sports prospect only mock draft for five by five rotisserie leagues or head to head points leagues. Uh, because we did that a couple of weeks ago, and that does at least go like 120 deep. So you're going to get uh, at least 20 names who aren't inside of the top 100. And uh, I would think it's more like 30 or so, uh, just because each person's individual list dif- differs. So uh, that that would be where I would start. I got some players you have any, for you. Let's hear them. I got some players for you. So... Uh, when, with these rosters, I found that after the first few rounds of the prospect drafts were off mostly. Okay. So I, I, for the first time this year, I did first year player rankings for, for dynasty leagues Mm -hmm. that are only drafting from among the newcomers to the player pool. And of course it includes a lot of guys who are in my top hundred, like Spencer Torkelson and Asa Lacey and, you know, Zach Veen, but. I go 30 deep among the first year players. And so probably half the list aren't in my top 100 and, uh, and includes international signings, the two biggest one, and they're both 17. So of course, who knows what kind of path they'll actually take. But you know, a lot of times those guys turn into Wander Franco types, you know? So Christian Hernandez, a shortstop for the Cubs and Wilman Diaz, a shortstop for the Dodgers. Those are probably the two biggest ones. Tyler Soderstrom, who was a pick front by the athletics in the draft this year, a catcher. Uh, he looks like his bat's too good for catcher. And there's questions about whether he can play the position. So I think I think when you have a bat that good, it's actually more valuable if they're not a catcher because then you don't have the development delays and the, the potential loss of playing time in the majors. And so I think he might be getting pushed down unfairly in dynasty drafts because right now he's a catcher. Don't know that and he's that name is that name again? Tyler Soderstrom. Okay, Tyler Soderstrom. Um, Austin Wells, similarly for the Yankees, catcher right now, but probably won't be long-term in a high OPS bat, just like Soderstrom. That's Austin Wells of the Yankees. I like Justin Foscue, the Rangers second baseman a lot. Uh, Bobby Miller, Dodgers pitching prospect who wasn't... uh, I'm I'm not even sure he was drafted in the first round, but um, instructional league, he dominated. And of course, he's a Dodgers pitching prospect. So Bobby Miller... Somebody you should be high on. Uh, Aaron Sabato of the Twins. First baseman, so he doesn't show up high on a lot of prospect lists because there's no defensive value to that, but he has potentially Pete Alonso-type power. Uh, Another 17-year-old, Carlos uh, Colmenares of the Rays. Carlos Colmenares. And we'll leave it at that, but there, there are even more on the list. Check it out. 
first year player rankings for dynasty drafts. Good stuff. Matthew and Marilyn, dear Giancarlo, Nelson, and Jordan. Uh, where would you draft the DH players in a points league if position eligibility is not an issue? He has four utility spots available. I have Jordan Alvarez, Nelson Cruz, and Giancarlo Stan all in my top 80 uh, in a points league with positional uh, valuations. So um, that's probably higher than most people would have them, I would guess. And so, you know, maybe the answer is where Chris has them. Uh, overall, because there are definitely question marks and risks about both of them, as well as J.D. Martinez, who I think on the whole goes a little later than that group. Um, Not than Stan. But, Stan's. Yeah, I think it tends. To, I think it usually goes Jordan Alvarez, Nelson Cruz, J.D. Martinez, and then Stan, maybe 20 pick, pick 20 picks or so after them. I yeah, I feel more confident in Stanton, but totally understand that's, you know, kind of on an island a little bit there. Um but I don't really have any questions about whether Cruz, Alvarez, or Stanton will hit. Uh, mm. It's mostly just availability. Cruz, because of his age, although there is some you know risk that he drops off there. Alvarez, because of the, the knee issues that he's had, and then Stanton, because you know, everything. Um, but what about you, Scott? Where do you have them ranked right now? I, I think I had the top three of that group which I'm saying is Cruz, Jordan Alvarez, and Martinez. Martinez. I think I had them in the 55 to 65 range initially, even not mm-hmm. for a format with all this position flexibility. And I just pulled them down because it became apparent to me yeah. I was going to be reaching for them if I, if I took them there because nobody was drafting them that early. So I would, I would say about there, you know, fifth, sixth round, look to target one if it's a, if it's 12-team league, which he says it is as opposed to eighth or ninth round where you can often get one uh, in, in a league with only one utility spot available. How do you approach positional tiers when you're drafting at the turn in a 12-team league? Uh, the same way. It's, it's harder. Yeah. I, I prefer to draft in the middle when I'm for tier purposes. Because yeah, I think, I think the turn kind of messes up tiers. Yeah, it make it, it. You have to. You end up having to project more what others are going to do, and that's yeah. harder. Yeah, yeah. So it'll it'll look like oh, there are, there are four shortstops available in this tier, which normally, if you're in the middle, you could say okay, I could probably I could probably count on one coming back to me. Yeah. But if you're at the end, you can't, and so it makes it harder. That's that's why I know I know most people, most fantasy baseball analysts say they prefer to pick to have. Uh, an end pick, a bookend pick, and pick back-to-back. I, I actually don't. I prefer to be in the middle. But, you know, you still you still try and do it. I mean, a lot of times it'll get to you and there will be an obvious pick still and you make the obvious pick. It's just, you can't, you can't count as much on uh, the tears lasting to you like you can when you're picking in the middle. All right, how about one more? How about another keeper question? Uh, this is the last one from Matthew. Darvish in the fifth. He's keeping Darvish in the fish. Gla- fifth. Glass now in the sixth. Arias uh, at his ADP and Paddock at 23rd. Would you draft Jacob DeGrom first overall and just hit uh, pitchers until the second half of the draft? Or would you go with Trout in a points league and get one more top 30 pitcher along the way? So it's basically 
if your keepers are heavily slanted, let's say towards hitters or pitchers, let's say you have all pitchers or all hitters in your keeper league and they're all good values. Does that make you more inclined to go away from your rankings in this case and take Trout number one in a points league? Or would you still take your number one overall player? I think Scott would probably just take DeGrom. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to have to fix those rankings too because in a points league especially, um, I, w- I would take the pitcher, the high-end pitcher for sure. Basically, anytime you ask me, should I take a pitcher or a hitter beer, I'm probably going to say pitcher. That's where we're at at this point. And I think, you know, Darvish, obvi- Darvish Glass now, obviously a nice starting point for your pitching staff. But if that's your one and two, yeah. That 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 to me is more like a one and three. So getting that co one with Darvish pairing Degrom and 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 Darvish at the top, especially in a points league where you have fewer hitter spots to fill personally and a lot more versatility and the kind of hitters they can be. You you know you're not looking to balance categories. I think I think it makes it pretty easy to go with the pitcher there. Bobby writes in Isaiah Kiner Falefa is a catcher on Yahoo. How early would you take him, and where would you rank him as a catcher and overall? I think he would probably be a top 12 catcher for me. Yep, he would. Um, I'd probably put him ahead of like Austin Nola and James McCann behind like Grandal, Will Smith, and and Travis Darno. You know, it might be a tough call for a lot of people. Gary Sanchez versus Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I would probably shoot for the upside of Sanchez in that scenario, but that's the kind of range we're talking about. So... Yeah, probably before 200th overall, like catcher eight or nine, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Adam, dear Billy Busty and F- Billy Dusty and Frank says it's a famous rock trio. But I was thinking, I don't know, managers. It would just be managers. I don't think there's any <laughs> connection. So it's got to be some kind of famous rock trio. I probably should know this. All right, Adam says, I know Scott doesn't allow off-season trades in his big league. We don't allow it in the league I commission either. Just had an interesting thing happen where a guy said he was keeping Arenado and wanted to know if, it, if I was keeping Devers and if I wanted to trade. Presumably, we would both then trade them after the draft. I'm obviously not doing it. He's trying because he's a Cubs fan and I'm a Cardinals fan. Made me think about the interesting skirting of the rules he's trying to do. Would Scott allow it in his league? We only keep five players. If that is at all relevant, this is by the definition of the word collusion. This is working with a player outside of the bounds of the rules uh, to circumvent the rules. It's a somewhat mild form of collusion, but it is nonetheless collusion. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Would I allow it? No. I I mean... You're you're trying to negotiate a trade of keepers when it's illegal to trade keepers, but negotiate it for when it is legal. Is that is that the extent? Yeah. Of it? So the trade would go at, through after the draft. You would agree I mean, to it is, now. See, okay, I thought it might. I be mean, I mean, I mean it's Omar kind just, of a handshake deal. I don't have okay. a problem with handshake deals in general. It's just as a commissioner, you can't enforce them if one guy backs out. That's really. That, if that's I really, found out about this as commissioner. I would veto it, kick them out of the league. Really? No. 
but I would, I would say, hey, anything like this yourself. But I would say, hey, don't do that. Look, rules are there. You're the you're the no off season trading guy, Scott. Rules are there. We live in a we live in a society. (laughs) But even with that rule, I've you know, I people can talk trade before you're able to trade just for a hypothetical trade down the road. And if you, you know, agree to do it and make decisions based on that agreement, it, I'm just saying it's on you if it doesn't, if, if, if the other guy then doesn't follow through on it. That's, I, I don't think there's anything uh, underhanded about having those talks though. Unbelievable. I thought you By the way, Billy honor. Dusty. Yeah, it's it's the famous rock trio, Billy, Dusty, and Frank is ZZ Top. And I thought yeah. it might be. Uh, I just I wasn't 100% sure. So that's on me. I'm sorry. Jet writes in, wanted to hear, t- hear your take on the following players that you have been very fond of in the past. Scott, Mark Canna, Herman Marquez, and I think that's Sonny Gray. I think so, yeah. Where are you at on these guys? Oh, um... I'm encouraged that the athletics really didn't give themselves an alternative plan to Mark Hanna. seems like he's going to have to be an everyday player. Uh, and he still gets on base a ton. So it, it, it makes sense. I don't know why the power basically disappeared on him last year, mm-hmm. but I think, I, I think it's possible it comes back and, um, I was just going to, it'll turn out I was just a year early on him and, and that'll be sad. Um, Herman Marquez, you know, he, he throws a lot of innings and the strikeout total should be fine, but he's not going to be, I, hope they trade. I don't think, he, I don't think he's going to be a stud unless he gets out of Colorado. Yeah. That's if they trade him, I, he might be a top 24 starting pitcher. He might be. Yeah. But the, otherwise the ERA is just going to be too high for my liking, especially since I invest so much in building up my pitching staff. Marquez is a guy that's just going to drag it down for me. Sonny Gray, I'm scared of Sonny Gray because like he's good, but the innings aren't though, there. The upside isn't there. He's he's, he's averaged not. five and a half innings per start over the last two seasons. I think he was under five or right at five last season. The innings he, just are not there. The problem, the problem for Sonny Gray is. Amazing second half of 2019 where the Reds gave him the cheat code supposedly to maximizing his slider, missing more bats with it. And at the start of last year, it looked like yeah. he was right about that. He was getting a lot of whiffs still, just like he was the second half of 2019. And then the swinging strikes went away. And then he had a back issue. And then he came back from the back issue and the swinging strikes were still not there. So, And then there's an innings question. Obviously, there have been a lot of highs and lows throughout his career. He's, he's followed up two near Cy Young, or, or at least two high-end performance seasons, mm. uh, Sonny Gray has, with ERAs near five the next year. And it's just... I, other than ground balls, I don't know what to predict for Sonny Gray. And so I'm, I kind of prefer Zach Wheeler, to be honest, just because... And I know I'm, I'm probably uh, in the minority there, but He's so I have a better idea what to expect from Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I've been working on you know a lot of starting pitcher stuff, looking at past values and risk factors and what makes a pitcher a bust and and all this stuff. And uh, you know, in writing about Zach Wheeler and Jose Barrios, I think it's true of both of them. They're never going to be 
top 15 starting pitchers, or they would have to have like some outlier win total or something like that to be like a top 15 starting pitcher. But it's probably not, they're not going to be outside the top 40 most likely. Again, it would require something going really wrong for them. They, you know, it depends how you approach your starting rotation, but Zach Wheeler and Jose Brios both should be good uh, innings contributors and, you know, just solid, steady, reliable guys at the end of the season. They're going to have a mid three to high three ZRA and decent whips. Um, you know, I think that your interest in them should depend on uh, where you draft, although that was not the question that was asked. So for <laughs> me, the three players that I've been very fond of in the past that he wants to know about, uh, Jet Stanton. I love Stanton. I think if he stays, I think he's a top 40 player as his baseline. If he's healthy, he's a top 40 player. And you can get him a lot later than 40th overall. And so as long as he's on the field, he's going to produce like a top 40 player. And if he misses 80 games, it's never cost you less this year. Uh, So I'm as in as I've ever been. Kyle Tucker is another one. I think everybody loves him. And I think there's room for him to grow. He's a rare power speed guy. I think there's 30 home or 20 steal potential. Uh, He's hit like 265-ish pretty much in the major so far. I think there's room for that to grow, but he needs to take a step forward. And I think there's definitely potential for it. He's still pretty young. Matthew Boyd, (laughs) man, uh, that could not have gone worse last season. And the new pitches that he was working on and everything else, it just, it didn't work. He is someone who you figure should benefit from a deadened baseball, but, um, you know, I'm not sure if he'll ever be anything more than a high threes ERA guy with a bunch of strikeouts, even in the best case scenario. And, you know, the strikeouts weren't there in the same number last season. So mm-hmm. uh, he's not. There are like, I think Denelson Lamette probably profiles as a mid to high threes ERA guy with a ton of strikeouts or Lance McCullers might even be a, a better comp. But I feel much more confident in Lance McCullers actually hitting that than Matthew Boyd. So. Uh, I'll, I'll end up with Matthew Boyd on a team at some point. I'm sure didn't happen in our 15 team league today, but I'm sure he, somebody got drafted. So, or somebody drafted him, I'm sure. So, uh, not really excited about him as I was at this time last year. And frankly, I would feel better if you didn't remind me of how much I liked Matthew Boyd last year. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for fantasy baseball today. Uh, this was our Friday mailbag episode. We'll be back next week with the return of the position previews, relief pitcher, starting pitcher, outfield. That's probably going to be the whole week. Maybe we'll toss in a bonus episode. Uh, depends on how Frank's feeling next week, or I guess if Scott and I want to step up, but we usually don't like to do more work. So hopefully Frank's <laughs> feeling better. Feel better, Frank. We'll see you guys on Monday. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.